everybody. Welcome back to another episode of History Creeps. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris Chavez, and I'm joined by my two other co-hosts, my brothers in arms, my creepers, if you will, Carter Johnson. Howdy. And Johnny Townsend. Hello, everybody. And for the record, I may or may not be wearing pants, but I know for a fact (laughs) that Carter is doing this in the nude. (laughs) (laughs) This is beautiful. Um, I knew that was going to come up. I knew (laughs) Carter's one of those guys that, you know, you always have that friend, even if you don't ask for information, they give you this information about what they're currently doing, whatever you're talking to. (laughs) I was like, hey, I guess I should put some clothes on. (laughs) So you were naked. You mean you were naked? Yeah. Oh, God, naked, that's awesome. Naked. That's awesome, guys. I don't sleep in a shirt and shorts, okay? Come on. <laughs> yeah, he's not a communist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Well, he's guys, how you guys doing this week, man? It's we're, we're, we're running a little late, uh, kind of falling behind on putting the episodes out. But I have to take blame for part of that. I was I was gone for a week. I was down in Florida. Uh, getting sun poisoning, which was not fun. Uh, did you really get sun poisoning? I did. I got sun poisoning. <sighs> I, I had, you know, you get all these crazy little, like rash bumps all across your skin. So it was all across the back of my neck, the top of my head, my arms. It was horrible. Ugh, I mean, it was awful. a good time hanging out with my family, but it was not a good time getting sun poisoning. Um, and then just coming back to everything, coming back to the real world and, and just the demands of work and carter man you're getting one day by day you're getting closer and closer to becoming a new dad oh we're 33 weeks today so the demands of our lives are just kind of like uh kind of took over for a minute we also the curse struck again uh listeners who follow and have listened to episodes since the beginning know that history creeps is a cursed podcast however we don't care we stare into the face of curses and say bring it on yeah, we, we well, do. To be fair, we do care because it's very it's an inconvenience. <laughs> yeah, no but, kidding. Yeah. It's an we idea. persevere. It's a better word, I think. The best. The it's it's pull pull the curtain back a little here, and this is the scenario. We're we're pulling up Skype, and I'm getting Johnny on, and it's hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I guess you can't hear me. Then a text message comes through. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, what's going on? Let's reboot. <laughs> Again, nothing happens on the other end. It's like, ah, forget it. We'll figure it out. Yeah, well, most people were probably happy not to be able to hear me. But, you know, in this case, I would making this really weird. I wouldn't go that far, man. I wouldn't go that far. I don't know if you got a chance to see our, our Facebook page. And for listeners who uh, haven't followed yet, go over to Facebook and give us a follow. Our, our page is History Creeps. Um, but I, I put up a little uh, post just to inform people that, you know, that we're very aware that uh, we haven't had an episode out in a couple weeks, but we, there was going to be one coming out uh, before weekends. The weekend was over, uh, and we had a couple of responses on there. Uh, one of which was very nice to hear. It was uh, it was from um, one of our our listeners, Val. She she went ahead, you know, just to let us know that she listens to the show and enjoys it, uh, and, and you know, basically a keep up the good work type of a, a message. And I see those things all the time. And it, it just, when I see those, when I get those emails or those messages, it always gives me that, that extra kind of like, you know, aside from doing it because we love to do it. Like I love to do it anyway. I would do it if no one was listening. It's, it's, it's still nice. Uh, it's nice to know when somebody is listening and actually enjoying it. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. I don't know what Carter's sniffing over there. So- <laughs> Carter just got, Carter just got up from a nap that was very needed because he had baby classes this morning. A naked nap. Yeah, who takes a naked nap? Which, you know, <laughs> nobody takes a nap in America nude. <laughs> that's a sleep, my friend. If you're taking your clothes off, you're going to sleep. That's and and that's I don't then then guess what? I don't take naps. I go to sleep. Yeah, throw up a, this is a poll for us to put up on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Who naps in the nude? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good. I would have to. I would have to. Raise my hand. Um, <laughs> that fits. That fits right into the creepers right there. Oh yeah. man. <laughs> okay. Um. Aside from naked naps, uh, there are other 
things we usually talk about on the show, aside from our main stories, the uh, the creepy sides of history, unexplained conspiracy theories, that type of thing. We also talk about current creeps, things that are going on in the news now that fit history, the weird parts of history, the stuff we talk about on the show. Uh, Carter, you're not going to have one this week, you said, because you had, you know, you're, like I said, we have some busy lives as well. You had your baby classes and your naked napping. Um, Johnny, <laughs> do you want to do yours first? Or you want me to do mine first? Uh, you do yours first, since this is your episode, to give you a break in between. All right, that sounds good. So the one I'm going to do is not really too creepy, uh, but it does fall within the realm of history or prehistory, if you will. Uh, the headline <laughs> on <laughs> the headline on NBC News on April seventeenth, two thousand seventeen, read: "Prehistoric sea creature from seventy million years ago found by elk hunter in Montana." Uh, a fossil found by an elk hunter in Montana nearly seven years ago has led to the discovery of a new species of prehistoric sea creature that lived about 70 million years ago in the inland sea that flowed east of the Rocky Mountains. The new species of elasmosaur is detailed in an article published Thursday in the Journal of Vertebrate Paleontology. Uh, most elasmosaurs uh, a type of marine reptile had necks that could stretch 18 feet, but the fossil discovered in Charles M. Russell National Wildlife Refuge is distinct for its much shorter neck, about seven and a half feet. So basically, there was an elk hunter that was out uh, in this National Wildlife Refuge and comes across this, you know, just weird piece of bone sticking out of a, a rock. Uh, and after, you know, years of analyzing and figuring out what it is and what, you know, where it falls within the uh, the prehistoric animals, it looks like scientists are now saying it's actually a new species of of one of the animals that uh, prehistoric animals that have been around during that time. Uh, I saw this and I was just like, "This is really cool." I love that we're in the year 2017 and we're still making discoveries from 70 million years ago. There's still things on this earth that are unknown. You know what I mean? I love seeing this stuff. Well, there's things living now in our oceans that we don't know. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I love that. I yeah. love. I love knowing that we don't know everything. Yeah, it, it makes it cool. Yeah, it makes it more fun. If we knew everything, it'd be really boring. And I remember, like as a kid, uh, and I, I, I'm assuming you guys are the same. You guys were into dinosaurs, right? Like, was oh, that yeah. every yeah. kid, right? We were into dinosaurs, so like you, you remember just being amazed, knowing these, the thunder lizards, you know, that walked the earth, uh, and then come on, Jurassic Park came out and blew everybody oh, away. Yeah. We were all just like all time, yeah, one of my all-time favorites. I was such a dinosaur nerd that I wouldn't let the T-Rex be my favorite dinosaur because that's what <laughs> the normal people would do. You had to find one that was a little more unique. Yeah. And people be so like, I, was an, I was an Allosaurus guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wasn't a Brontosaurus. I was a Brachiosaurus guy. Um, there you go. <laughs> um, well, if you remember when we were when Jurassic Park came out, we didn't have Brontosaurus. Remember, right. we had Apatosaurus. That's right. That's it, right. It changed it. <laughs> that's right um but yeah my point i was making was that like jurassic park comes out and it renewed that interest in dinosaurs you know what i mean it it, it spawned a whole new a slew of, of children that grew up just fascinated with dinosaurs so uh you see stuff like this and it's almost like it sparks that again it's like oh that's right let's not forget these monsters did walk the earth at some point you know what i mean it's awesome to see and we haven't yeah and we haven't found them no, no, not at all. Can you imagine? Like, have you guys seen the uh, the posters for Kong Skull Island? There yes. was there was ones yes. that were given away at uh, some con or something that when you put black the black light on it, it it would show a different image on the on the thing. Have you do you know what I'm talking about? No, but that's awesome. Okay, so the poster that was given away was actually the shape of the island. It was like a picture of the island from above, right? And so, but if you shine a uh, black light on it, you'll see a monstrous skeletal remains of what could only be a Godzilla type figure underneath the island. No. So like stuff Ooh, like that, you know, awesome. it, it, you see it all over the place and it gives you those, those cool like feelings of like it permeates all the things we're into or the pop culture, just this discovery of those, those things that we haven't discovered everything yet. Can you imagine if we came across a, a skeletal structure that big, the size of an island? Yeah, that would that would. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's not not like it couldn't be out there though. It's possible. Who knows? Oh, Cloverfield, you know. There you go. That, that would be that would be that thing. See, now we're talking. This is what I want to talk about. 
prehistoric Cloverfield bones found (laughs) while podcasters are on location. Well, if you think that's amazing, let me tell you about this goat. Yeah, I want to hear about the goat. (laughs) Let me tell you about this goat. (laughs) (laughs) From the Huffington Post, uh, 10-year-old's pet goat saves her entire family. Uh, 10-year-old Abigail Bruce was given a pet goat for her birthday. This was like a week ago. Uh, it's, apparently it's what she always wanted, but you know, you know, how kids are, they want to, apparently you want either a horse or a goat, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. And she chose goat. This took place in, I'm going to butcher this name, but I swear to you, it looks like it says Wiener, Arkansas. <laughs> it's W E I N E R. That's Wiener, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Wiener. Now just making sure it's in Arkansas. And apparently the other Saturday, the family was asleep. Abigail was sleeping in the living room with her goat. They only had to go a few days at that point. When Speedy, that's the goat's name, uh, woke her up by jumping on her legs and then on her chest. And she kept doing it until the girl woke up. And when the girl woke up, she said that the, the that all she could see was smoke. So obviously there was a fire going on. So she ran and woke her parents and everybody was able to get out safe despite the smoke and the fire damaging everything in the house. Wow. The goat got out That's pretty too, cool. right? Yeah, the goat got out too. Sweet. Uh, yeah, that would make a crappy story. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, I didn't make it out. Yeah. Or it would make it even worse, what if the goat set the fire? Arsonist <laughs> goats? Yeah. <laughs> he, hated, he hated the family. He set the fire. Yeah. He, he wasn't trying to wake her up. He's trying to cave her chest in. He's like trying yeah, to he finish wanted, the job. He wanted freedom. He wanted freedom. Good Lord. Uh, actually, some kind of electrical issue is what caused the fire. Wow. But uh, everybody was able to get out safe, and the dad said that he actually he didn't even like the goat at first, and was against her getting it. But now he he assumes he's totally okay with the goat staying there. I would he hope so, be, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know that made me think, though. You hear all the time these crazy, awesome stories of people's pets—you know, cats or dogs—usually uh, saving their family's lives by waking them up if there's a fire, or yeah. you know, there's somebody breaking into the house or something. Yeah, I've seen those. I've seen those specials where um, weird little things like they'd say, oh, my cat started, you know, nudging his head into my chest more incessantly and blah, blah, blah. And I went to the doctor and they told me they started, you know, my heart. If I hadn't been there, you know, a day earlier, I could have died. You know what I mean? You hear those stories all the time. Well, I heard there was one. It might have been on Unsolved Mysteries or something like that. But uh, this this older couple's cat kept going crazy wanting to go outside but it wouldn't go outside by itself it would make them go outside with them and come to find out they had some kind of uh, a gas leak or something in the house oh wow oh that's interesting that is crazy (laughs) wasn't there a a news report of like a parrot dialing 911 like a bird Uh, or a parrot or something like that I think I remember seeing that at some point and and I was like really it dialed Did you say a bird. <laughs> well, like it was a bird or a parrot, like a a, a, a parrot oh, okay. or like I don't know. What you say? <laughs> it's kind of like you said a bird parrot, but like you wanted to make sure we knew that a parrot was a bird. Do a show with a couple of dummies, Chris. It's probably good that you did. I wanted to make sure it was I was enunciating. You guys didn't think I said parent. Like you heard of one of the one with a parent dial nine one one, and you're like, okay, where's the animal involved? Um, <laughs> No, that's actually cool, dude. I like stories like that, though, because it's, I don't know, there's something about animals. Animals are, are especially with their relationship with humans, um, there's always those things that you can't ever explain. Uh, like, you also, again, you always hear, that you ever hear those stories about, like, people who are lost at sea and, like, dolphins, you know, help bring them to, uh, to, to safety, you know what I mean? Yeah, and dolphins have saved people from sharks and all kinds of things. Yeah. Interesting, interesting, guys. What do you guys? I, want? Guess, I guess neither of our creeps were really that uh, creepy, but they were very interesting. I would say I liked mine. I don't know about you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we're so, so yeah, Carter. There's you didn't have one this week. Uh, so we're no, just gonna... I didn't have one this week. But I did get pointed to a cool uh, uh, website called Weekly Weird. Ooh. Or Weird Weekly, I forget what, what it's one of those. My wife found it, uh-huh. and it's all it's all it's all it's like our current creeps, but it's all in one place. 
Sweet. It's all on one website. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I might I might check that out and see if I can pull anything cool from there. There you go. Nice. Uh, well, it's not it's not weekly weird because it doesn't come up when I put it in. Weird weekly news. Weirdweekly.com, something like that. That might be it, yeah. Huh. All right, guys. So uh let's dive into this week's or this episode's uh topic. This is yeah, a, let's fly let's fly <laughs> uh, head over heels into whatever this topic is. Chris, tell us please what we're gonna be talking about. All right, we're gonna uh, we're going we're going to take off. Uh, with this story, uh, and hopefully it'll be a smooth landing by the time we're done. I was going to say that. Dang it. <laughs> Here's Google. I need some more airplane puns. Uh, <laughs> this week, uh, or this episode, guys, I wanted to talk about one of America's m- more enduring mysteries, uh, the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. There we go. So everyone uh, who's well, anyone. To be fair, she wasn't by herself. No, not at all. Uh, she's just more – it's more known as, as the disappearance of Amelia Earhart because at the time uh, that she disappeared, she was basically one of the biggest celebrities um, in America in America at the time. Uh, and the fact that she was a woman pilot, again, you know, just added to that celebrity. So when she went missing, it was it was a big deal, so much so that the president sent out 60 planes uh, to look for her. Uh, but we're going to rewind. We're going to go back. So Amelia Earhart, every, a lot of people are very familiar with the story of Amelia Earhart. It's one of these stories that is ingrained in our childhood from history class. Uh, the first woman to fly across the Atlantic Ocean, uh, she attempted to fly around the entire world uh, you know, following the equator. Uh, and then she disappeared, and no one knew what happened because they could never find her plane, didn't find her body. She literally disappeared off the face of the earth. And I think there was a current creeps I brought up um, a few months back where there was an article that came out where they think that uh, what really happened to her was that she did end up surviving a plane crash and living on an island as a castaway for a little bit before finally dying. Uh, so that was actually that came up and uh, a couple months ago. And I thought to myself, here we go. We need to talk about Amelia Earhart because. There is a lot of speculation as to what could have happened, whether she survived or not. So um, let's go back. Let's go back to the eighteen late eighteen hundreds, early uh, when early nineteen hundreds uh, when Amelia Earhart was born. She was born July twenty fourth, I believe, twenty fourth uh, or twenty sixth. I can't remember now. Jeez, jeez, Chris, eighteen ninety seven. Now, by all together, of- Chris. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> right. God, I just woke up from a naked nap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So by all accounts, uh, she had a normal childhood. She had a younger sister and, and her and her younger sister used to go on adventures. Um, nowadays you would call it, you, you would, it would be what you used to call a tomboy, you know, a little girl that really just loved getting out there, getting dirty. You know, they collected bugs. Um, they, they were like free spirits and it was because their mother wanted them to be when they were growing up, their mother didn't want them to, to have to fit the mold of what was expected of young ladies at the time. She wanted them to be able to be free and, you know, go and just do what she'd like, what they'd like to do, explore the world, be, be adventurers. Um, and that's what they did. There's actually a, a well-known story. And I don't know if it was, um, from, you know, handed down stories or if it was in a jur- her journals or anything. But there's a well-known story about how she and an uncle created a homemade ramp that uh, was attached to the side of a tool shed, the roof of their tool shed. And she made a, a wooden box, a sled, and just you basically like evil Knieveled it and went shooting down the thing, flying through the air, and it smashed into bits, and she just goes rolling on, on her side, tears her dresses, you know, she's all banged and bruised, and she gets up, and she was just, like, wild-eyed with excitement. And her her little sister comes running up to her, and she looks at her little sister, and she was like, it was just like flying. You know what I mean? Like, she had that, that, it, that seed was planted now. Um, so her whole life, she's always been kind of adventurous, and she's always been kind of like... Um, I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm not going to follow the norm. Uh, there's a, I remember I saw a d- documentary where a historian was talking about her saying that one of her biggest fears was living a normal nine to five life. She didn't want to live that kind of life. She wanted to live the kind of life where it was kind of a larger than life thing. You know what I mean? Which, I mean, 
we know her story. So uh, she she succeeded in that. Um, but at the time when she was growing up, um, she was very much uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Inspired by uh, a lot of the women at the time who were doing things that weren't expected of them. Women pioneers, uh, women who were getting into aviation, women scientists, all these people who, all these women who were uh, basically succeeding in fields where men were expected to be, you know, dominant. Uh, she was very fascinated by that. She would keep scrapbooks of news clippings because it inspired her to see these women doing what they wanted to do. Um, so when she was in her twenties, she went to Toronto to visit her sister. And while she was there, she was exposed to a lot of the soldiers coming back from world war one. And she saw that they were, you know, their injuries and the ravages that war was taking on them. So she volunteered to, uh, become a nurse, a, a nursing assistant, um, for the volunteer aid, uh, voluntary aid detachment. Uh, while she was there ner working as the nurse's aide in Toronto, that's when she first came across um, – I don't know if you'd say first came across. She was aware of airplanes, but it was, it was, it was here where she got this, the first rush of the possibility of aviation. There's a story that they tell that her and her friend went to the Canadian National Exposition. And it's during this time they're showing like these World War One ace pilots were doing all these like crazy air stunts. And during this time when aviation was first take, uh, starting out, it, uh, this was the norm. You would see people doing crazy stunts on these planes. Uh, you can look it up on, on YouTube and see old footage, black and white footage of, of you, what do you call those planes that have the two, uh, you know what I mean? They're kind of like the double. The biplanes? Yes, biplanes. You'll see yeah. these guys climbing up to the top of the top wing, walking across it, climbing back down to the second one, hanging off the second one by one foot, and then climbing back into the cockpit while the other guy's steering the plane. And do, like It's insane to see the stuff they're doing, but at that time, uh, because planes were just kind of still novel and they were these new, exciting, like, uh, you know, uh, vehicles that they could, you know, do these stunts and these death defying acts. And it was kind of a spectacle. Um, they would do these all the time. So at this exposition, the, the World War One ace pilots are doing all these, you know, crazy cool flips and, and swooping down and diving and pulling back up. And, uh, one of the, the way the story goes is that Amelia Earhart and one of her friends was kind of off to off to the side in a field more uh, kind of away from where the crowds were watching. And one of those pilots that was flying around spotted them. And, and in her words, she said she assumed that this guy thought, look, I'm going to put a little scare into these little ladies. And he started coming at them with, like almost to dive bomb them. Right. Her friend goes scattering, tears off. She's scared to death. <laughs> But the story is, is that Amelia Earhart stood her ground and just stood there as the plane came at her and then swooped back up. And she just felt this this thrill inside her that was just like, I've got to see what that feels like to be in one of those. Um, so a few years later, uh, December 28th, 1920, Earhart and her father visited an airfield in Long Beach, California. Uh, there he paid for her to go up and go for a plane ride with this guy named Frank Hawks. Uh, he was a man who would become later become a very famous air racer. Uh, so he, her dad paid ten bucks for this this ten minute air ride. And after the ten minute air ride, uh, Earhart made it her life goal to learn how to fly a plane. She said in her journals, it's it's quoted as saying, she, by the time they were hitting two hundred, three hundred feet in the air, she knew she had to fly. Like that, she knew that that was why she was on this earth is she had to fly. Um, and right away, she just started doing everything she could to be able to learn how to fly. She took all kinds of like side jobs. She was a truck driver, photographer. She did all kinds of little things to raise up the thousand dollars needed to, you know, get flying lessons. Um, during that time, also, she transformed herself. She became what the image of a female pilot was of the, at the time. She cut her hair real short. She started wearing like the, the, the leather flight jacket. Um, and she she went out and bought her own plane. Bought her own plane. Can you imagine? You're, she's trying to raise money for thousand dollar flying lessons. How much do you think it was buying planes at that time? I didn't even look. I up was the gonna price. say it's it's gotta be pretty dang expensive, right? Especially like for the you know what I'm saying for the time period. Yeah, she wasn't joking. Plane, like she did this. The plane's not a car, man. I yeah. mean, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's yeah, not a like parrot's not a bird. I would. Yeah. 
No, you're right. A parrot's, a parrot's not a bird. But think about That's right. it's not a bird. Think about the passion she had behind that. Like to learn, want to learn from the time she went up for the flight to the time she's getting lessons and buying her own plane. It's only you're talking only two to three years time. That's it. So the first plane she gets is this big, bright yellow plane she nicknames the Canary. And I remember learning that nice. fact as a kid. <laughs> I remember that fact as a kid in, in school. Like that was one of the things we learned that her, her one of her first planes was called the Canary. I don't know why that was you know important, but it was the teachers were like, that's something you gotta memorize. Uh, but anyway, right away after getting her own plane, she starts pushing limits and boundaries. Uh, on October 22nd, 1922, she set the record for altitude by a female pilot. She took her plane up to 14,000 feet. A uh, female pilot had never done that before. Um, and over the next few years, she also continued to use her uh, growing celebrity to become a staunch advocate for women's rights, uh, women in aviation, and other issues uh, to promote aviation. It was very. It wasn't rare to see women flying because there were female pilots at the time that were, you know, trying to make their name as well in in like the 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 races, the air races, and and trying to set records, you know, flying across the country or flying across the, uh, you know, sp- specific oceans or or whatever bodies of water. Um, however, it was it was the fact that she was doing this. Um, partnered with this uh, a, a guy she ended up meeting a guy named george putnam he was a book publisher and, and a publicist at the time and the two of them were basically uh a, a a publicist dream they they worked very well in getting her name out there and and the fact that she's a female and she's doing this and she's setting these records and he would set her up to to go around and and have you know uh, what do you call it? Like these discussions and these, for lack of a better term, they didn't have TED talks back then. But it would be what a TED talk would be. You know what I mean? She'd go around the country and oh, just, like a like a symposium. Basically, yeah, she'd go like and presentation. Yes, like why women are, are important for aviation and and all that kind of stuff. But um, and here's the thing. Back then, you had celebrities in Hollywood and and the glamour of Hollywood. And when you would start and the other kind of celebrities you had were the people that did things that that you would remember Charles Lindbergh flying across the Atlantic Ocean like he was a celebrity at that time. Um, The Rockefellers. Yes. These people are celebrities. You're talking about you know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, maybe the, the guys who are scaling Everest at the time, like these guys are coming home to like flashing bulbs and their names all over newspapers um so the fact that there's a woman now that's doing these kind of things they the press started to dub her lady lindy uh in in reference to Lindbergh because his his nickname at the time was lucky lindy uh so she had nothing to do with him but the fact that she was a very very well-known female uh aviator um putnam was very good at that that whole machine that that um promotion machine had her i'm telling you the way they the way a lot of this stuff that i've read and seen about it it sounds like um and i don't want to take anything away from her being a pilot but like i said she it was only a few years of of flying and when she's doing these different races and trying to set records that there's a lot of people that say like she wasn't the best of pilots like she didn't she hadn't learned enough that she there was still a lot she didn't know but the way they promoted her, you would never have known that. It was like this was one of the greatest female pilots around, um, and they were they they were very successful with with that kind of promotion. Uh, so much so that they they reached out to her uh, because to to be the first woman to go across the Atlantic. Uh, and the way that worked out was there was actually another f- female pilot that was going to do it. Um, and I, I guess something happened. I think it was weather or the whatever the situation was. The woman decided she wasn't going to do it. So uh, Putnam and these two other people, I can't remember who the men's name were now. I wish I'd written it down. Uh, they called out and gave her a call. It was around in 1928 and said, hey, you want to fly to the, uh, across the Atlantic? And she agreed. The catch was, though, she wasn't the pilot. She was just riding as a passenger, and I think she, she did some navigation for them as well. But she she was the first female to be a part of the pilot crew that went across the Atlantic. Um, she comes back to America, and there's, like, parades in New York for, for the whole thing, and people can't believe it. And they're really just promoting this now. 
aviation's a big deal, and especially someone like Amelia Earhart. So I don't know where would we put her. Probably at Kim Kardashian status. Like not that she's like trashy that way, but you know the the celebrity. If Kim Kardashian, well, you're talking, yeah, you're talking about when people were famous for actually doing stuff. Yes, exactly. So if you yeah. if you put somebody like Kim Kardashian's face up anywhere around the world, mostly people, people are know who know. it is. Yeah. Exactly, and that's what the way it was with Amelia Earhart. Like people in England knew who she was. People in France. People in you know what I mean in Germany. They knew who this woman was. Uh, she was a huge celebrity. So the next like logical step was let's have her fly across the Atlantic on her own. And so she does. She pulled it off in 1932. Uh, May, morning of May 20th, 1932. Um, she tells them, you know, listen, this is the plan. I'm going to do it. Uh, there's a bunch of reporters around and they figured out, you know, it would take her. She wanted to leave from Newfoundland and land in England. However, apparently something had happened where the, the, the storms had hit uh, or had driven her off path and she ended up landing in Ireland. But she still did it. She ended up landing in this like pasture and this this farm <laughs> Yeah, this farmer comes running out and now it's not now here's the thing that I was I, I saw in the documentary when I saw this part is they were saying that uh, at the time, it wasn't a weird thing to see something like that happen because once in a while, you know, there were pilots that would need to land at places. And so they would land in just open fields. And so the 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 farmer comes out and is just like, you know, have you gone far? Like the question, the first question is, where are you from? How far have you gone? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, well, I'm from America. And he's like, oh, and she th- she's like, well, am I in England? He's like, oh, no, you're in Ireland. <laughs> and so you're um, close but not quite yeah uh another and if you go on youtube you can find footage of this of her you know sitting on top of the plane with all these people from the village around her and she's like signing autographs and stuff the funny a little fun fact is that footage was filmed the next day because i guess it was later in the day that she had landed and she had been tired and needed to sleep and do that so the next day the press rounded everyone up and said let's act like she just landed and so they're like action and then everyone completely acted like she just landed and she was getting out of the cockpit and everyone's like surrounding her um pretty funny but like that's that's my point it's it was such a big deal that they went out of their way to recreate it. She was she was like reaching stratosphere heights of celebrity at this time. Yeah, um, that's insane. Yeah, so she's she continues to you know go around the country and give talks. She becomes very friendly with um, <clears throat> Eleanor Roosevelt. Her and Eleanor Roosevelt become very good friends. Uh, she's invited over to the White House many times for different dinners, um, uh, and and has you know the what do you call the audience of of the president you know fdr who's who's the president at the time um so she does there she continues to do more flights and and set other records and she decides in in about 10 1937 is when she's gonna she decides she wants to try to fly around the world and she's gonna kind of go more around the equatorial border she wants to go where it's the longest path around the world and that's the plan so there was actually more than one attempt. The, the first time they tried it, they wanted to go uh, moving from east to west. They wanted to fly out to Honolulu, from California to Honolulu, and make their way around that way. Um, and they had to scrap the flight. There was there was gear issues. Um, there was tire blowouts. There was all kinds of weird stuff. And some of the stuff that happened when she – there was one time when she tried to take off and um, her plane – ground looped it's it's this thing that happens when it do you know what that means at, at all no no all right so when they're when it's trying to take off um basically what will end up happening is one of the one of the uh oh geez chris come on oh the wings will kind of dip to the side and, and it, it could flip the plane but usually it kind of loops the plane around in a circle a lot of times they say that happens because a tire blows out uh, in this case, there was a lot of speculation that it had nothing to do with any kind of mechanical failure, that really it was that Earhart couldn't um, handle the plane. Because now, let's re- let me go back real quick. Some of the planes she had been using were those older style planes. By the time she's going to fly around the world, she's using like a, a, a brand new top of the line Electra is the name of the plane. Like these are, this is at the top, at the time was one of the more advanced planes. It had all kinds of like, 
technology that she just wasn't used to. So a lot of people said she didn't, she just wasn't able to fly this plane. So much so that the um, apparently the navigator that she was going to work with at the time dropped out. He said, "Listen, I can't do this." So there was this other guy that stepped in. Um, Noonan is the guy. That's the other guy that was with her when they just Fred Noonan. Yeah, yeah, Fred Noonan. Um, now this he's guy, interesting. Yeah, that was, you, uh, do you know a lot about him, Chris? I know s- some about him. Uh, do you know a lot? I know a little bit. It, I always found it fascinating in this story that I mean, I 100 percent understand why. Amelia gets all the attention, uh-huh. but you know she wasn't the only one who went missing. Right, you know, he was there too. He his life is very interesting. Actually, there's not a lot really known about him, but at the time he was considered one of the best that she could possibly get to yeah. be a navigator. Yeah, he used to work for Pan Am, um, and yeah. the problem that so like you said, he was the best. But here's the thing. He was let go of Pan Am. He ended up leaving because he had an alcoholic uh, an alcohol problem. Well, that, that's not all. He also, also, <laughs> uh, apparently, he he had been married twice, and I bring that uh-huh. up because he divorced his first wife and then married his second wife on a span of like uh, like a month or two, and then two months later, it's when he went off to flight. So he hadn't even been married to his new wife for two months yet when he went missing. He was going off to fly with one of the biggest celebrity women of all time. Yeah. Uh, but the the reason I say the thing about the alcoholism is because that comes into play a little later. So he's the only one that sticks around to go with her. Um, and so they decide by the time they, they do their 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 second attempt, uh, they're going to go the opposite direction. They decide they're going to go from uh, west to east. So they start out in Miami, make their way down to South South America. They end up flying over to Africa. They're making all I mean, they're they're making good time past africa they're going into china india china down into uh australia and then they land in uh papua new guinea just right out right off the coast of australia and the plan is in the next couple days after refueling is they're going to fly out to um what's called the howland islands um and then from there to hawaii and then to la and they should be done so Right before they're going to leave for Papua New Guinea, there was some sort of issue with the plane that it, it delays it for a night. And during that time, uh, it's, there's a documentation of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan getting into a very heated argument. Um, what the argument was about, not many. I don't know who know if they know, uh, but I, it was known that there was this huge argument. The guy ends up taken off for the night and goes to a bar and just gets obliterately wasted. People say they just saw him drinking just like glasses and glasses of whiskey just gets wasted. Um, so the next day they decide they're going to take off. And this is, there is actual footage of Amelia Earhart and Noonan preparing the, the plane and them, you know, getting into the plane and taking off. It's the last known footage of them alive bef- uh, before they disappeared. Um, so the idea is, is the, the Electra, it took off July 2nd, 1937, uh, from the little, the little town of Lei is the name of the airfield, uh, in Papua New Guinea, heading out for the Howland Islands in the middle of the Pacific. Now there's reports of radio frequency or radio transmissions coming over where she would say, you know, what her altitude was, what her cruising speed was, and that everything's going Okay. Uh, a few hours later, same thing. Everything's going okay. But then they started to hit some sort of turbulence that she hadn't been expecting. So she had to climb higher than she needed to. And there's a lot of people who say because of this, uh, what they believe, believe happened to her is that she just lost fuel, uh, ran out of fuel, and crashed into the ocean. Because with the fact that she had to climb higher to avoid a lot of the, the turbulence and storms that they were starting to approach, um, they, they, she was using 10% more fuel uh, per hour than she would have if she'd have been staying, you know, the cruising altitude that the plane was was used to. Um, and during this time, though, it, they should be getting closer to the Howland Islands. Uh, there's more the the radio signals coming in from Earhart now are starting to sound a little more panicked because they're saying that they don't see the islands. Um, and by the Howland Islands, there was a a, a ship called the the U.S. Coast Guard ship called it um, Itasca. And the and the the plan was for the Itasca to be there to help kind of hone signal them in 
because during that time it wasn't like they had um, the you know all this great radar equipment and radio signaling and all these kinds of things to be able to to navigate. A lot of the times the radio navigation was done um, do using stuff like the, the the ship and the plane going by. Uh, one of the things I saw that they said is that I guess depending on how weak or strong the signal was was how you could tell the ship the the plane was closer to the ship it was farther oh, away yeah, yeah. yeah if it was farther away that the the signal coming in the radio transmissions will be a little bit more staticky the closer the plane the more clear um so there's actually recordings of her saying you know she, she should be close can they please try to find her she's going to whistle into the the microphone to so that they could hone in on that and then there for the few minutes she's just sitting there you know putting out a low whistle um, and one of the things I saw, uh, one of the documentaries I saw had a guy who had interviewed, um, the captain of the Itasca. And he said that the captain said that she was coming in so clear. Like he literally thought she should be overhead. Like he went out, he went like stuck his head out of the cabin, closed his eye and cocked his head to the side to see if he could hear the plane because he really thought she was overhead. That's how clear she came in. So all of these little pieces of evidence, um, these these radio signals, these are all things that were used later to try to determine where she could have ended up. Because if she was coming in clear at that time, um, they're assuming she should have had a specific amount of fuel that she should have seen the Howland Islands. And if she didn't, she may have panicked. And the other theory was is that she went south where there's a grouping of islands called the Phoenix Islands. Um but no one knows because after the the, the last uh, radio uh, transmissions, that was it. It was silent. They didn't hear anything from her again. After another hour or so, it was it was uh, it was people started to worry. Now, now the Atasca and some of the other ships were out there started to search the waters because um, they were looking now for a, a a crashed plane. No one was calling in from any of the islands saying that she had landed, and. Uh, that was it. And she never said at any point, oh, I can see land. No, she couldn't. She That's the thing. She was saying she couldn't see anything. Uh, she was she, she felt she was off course and she needed them to help guide her back. Um, but that's it. Like she she disappeared. Her and Fred Nuna disappeared. So now here's the there are theories as to what happened. One of the theories was is that because of having to you make adjustments to her flight pattern and increases in altitude, she wasted a lot of fuel, ended up running out of fuel, crashed into the ocean, was never seen again. Um, other theories were that she was so far off course, she was down by the Phoenix Islands, ended up being able to crash land. Uh, and some people say she probably died. Some people believe that she uh, ended up living on an island for a few months, uh, whether Noonan was with her or died on the crash attempt as well. But they... they they think that she uh, survived as a castaway uh, based on that article that came out a few a few months ago. Um, there's also the theory that the Japanese caught her because during this time you were, we're talking about it's like when World War II is starting to get a little bit iffy out there. You know what I mean? It hasn't start, started too much yet, but the Japanese are not happy with America. Um, they don't want to see any planes coming over. And so they're assuming spies are, are, are flying around. They, the, the thought was is she was shot down and, and captured by the Japanese. Um, and in, in fact, that's on a very famous episode of Unsolved Mysteries. And in that episode, uh, some woman who lived on that island her whole life claims that she yeah. actually saw Amelia get executed by the Japanese. Yeah, that's the thought. Is that's that, interesting. That's the thought is that they captured her and executed her They because they thought she was a spy for uh, FDR. It was, again, it was very well known that she was very good friends with with Eleanor and had you know spoken with the president at private dinners many times so it's not that far fetched to believe that the president may have asked you know the one of the greatest celebrity women who would be in a plane around that area to help him out with getting information uh so that's another theory is that the japanese captured her um and then there's obviously you go into the X-Files now and there's the theories that it was uh, paranormal things that happened, whether it was, you know, a time slip or portals or aliens. Um, the fact remains, though, that she disappeared. Noonan disappeared. The Electra, which is not a small plane, disappeared, has never been found. The only thing that was found, uh, like I said, in that article that talked about 
uh, the Phoenix Islands was, and it was fairly right away when the investigations happened. People were out there searching for her plane. Like I said, FDR sent out over 60 planes uh, to canvas the Pacific Ocean looking for, for any kind of wreckage. Uh, many people flew, flew over the Phoenix Islands, and a couple of times they stopped on some of those islands in which they did find remnants of um, uh, of an old campsite. They found an old uh, an old woman's shoe from the 1930s that would have been from that time. They also found, uh, and I believe this was in the 60s when people went back, uh, excavations went back looking for them, um, they found bones uh, that they thought could be her. And at the time, it was it was written off as no. Uh, a scientist at the t- during the time in the 60s said, "Nah, it couldn't have been her. It's it's the bones of a of a a male. It doesn't work." Um, however, yeah. However, though the the uh, the newer updated information shows that it's actually the bones of a female, and a lot of people think it might be her because the the what's the the bone for the forearm, whatever those bones are. They're just oh yeah they're um, they're slightly longer than what a female's bone you know forearms would be, and scientists have compared it to photographs of Amelia Earhart, and she did have abnormally longer forearms than most women did at the times uh, in proportion to her body, so a lot of people really think that what what happened was she did crash and uh, was a castaway for a while, and whether or not Noonan survived. But it's just to me, you ask me, it's just weird that there's nothing. There's not even there's not a plane. We don't see wreckage of a plane anywhere. Well, when I was looking through this, I found some things that I didn't realize before either, because you know this is a fairly uh, famous story. Yeah. Uh, but you don't always uh, know everything about. Yeah. Uh, apparently in the area in which they assume she went down, uh, there's a lot of, uh, reefs down there Ooh. and during low tide, a plane can technically land on them and they won't, and a plane won't go under. Uh, apparently even days after the plane had disappeared and they were looking for it, they were still getting distress calls and they assumed that they were getting distress calls and that meant that the plane hadn't gone under the water yet. Cause if it did, then they wouldn't get those. Yeah, I saw and that. So that's a theory that they have. And another reason they have that theory is apparently uh, not too long before her flight that went missing, uh, a crew on another airplane had gone down in that area and landed on a reef. Oh, wow. Really? I didn't see that. That's crazy. Yeah, that so, they crazy. Thought, so they thought maybe that's what she had done, but, you know, nobody ever found it. So I did see the report. Did they, I, I did see the did report. Do they have a theory at all about maybe her plane is a coral reef now? Oh, by now? I don't know how much yeah. of that would have taken over, I'm sure. Yeah. Because you do see that. It does, some... it, yeah, and they do it all the time with you know with sinking ships for yeah. artificial reefs and stuff like that. Yeah. But I'm assuming with the, the satellite technology we have now, we should be able to see what if there's any unnatural uh, things that are under the ocean, shapes of plane, you know. But who knows? Who knows how it broke up? It could have broke. If it went down it and It could crashed, have been three or four pieces. Jesus, yeah. it could have obliterated depending on the speed yeah. because that was a big plane she had. Um, the Electra is, is a pretty big plane. It's not a little, you know, just passenger plane, a, a little a little uh, two-seater flyer or anything like that. Uh, it was a pretty large, large plane. Um, and I did... Well, well, the reason I say that is because by now, you know, it would... Coral doesn't grow super fast, but yeah. it grows fast enough that at this point, say if it was a wing or or the the, the tail or something, yeah. how would you, you know, how would you know if it's covered in in coral? Yeah, there's a piece of um, I, I think there were some some people who had been out there investigating had found on that island where the uh, where the fire you know, thing had been found. There was a piece of aluminum, a square piece of aluminum that had been found with rivets and everything on it that they said I came, heard about came this. from yeah. her plane as well. Uh, and there's pictures that kind of point out um, on that last takeoff. Where the piece, yeah, 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 where the piece of aluminum was yeah. on the plane. I remember seeing that picture. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So, I mean, the, I don't know what, what could have happened. Johnny, when you were talking about those um, – those distress calls that were coming in after the fact. I remember reading that, and I also read that there was many of them. There was all kinds, so much so that um, they had to believe some of them to be hoaxes because of the away, the amount that were coming in uh, from the vicinity. Some, and my thought was like, who's gonna like? Were they really? Were there really trolls back then? Even 
Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, were. like the 1930s, yeah. there's still trolls. They're like on ham radios. You yeah. know what I mean? There's a tr- yeah. you're, you're trying to send an SOS on, on a Morse code, and there's some troll just like tapping it, messing up, messing up your Morse code messages. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's yep. possible. Though. I mean, there's um, sadly throughout you know, the dawn of man, there's been jerks and trolls. So probably no kidding. Um, it's really, it's a, it's a fascinating story. It's also kind of a sad story that there's no end that we don't really know it happened. It's also one of those stories where it's like so many little things happened along the way that if they didn't happen, something may have been different about it. Uh, stuff like, you know, what if she, if she didn't have Noonan, what if she did have the other guy who didn't go out drinking the night before they flew out? Uh, would that have been a little bit better? Maybe if she wasn't used to cer- certain, you know, gauges, controls, readings, whatever the case is, would that have helped her out? Um, another big thing that happened was, is that her plane was big, like I said, and it was very heavy. So not just all the fuel that was on it, she was carrying all kinds of equipment. Um, so there was, there was speculation that she unloaded a lot of stuff to, to uh, lighten the load so as to not burn so much fuel while she's traveling. And uh, one of the things they know for sure she did take off was the Morse code machine. So while she was trying to find her, you know, find her way around and, and they were starting to lose contact with her, there were people in on the ships trying to send her uh, Morse code messages to figure out what's going on. She never got them because she didn't have the machine on, on the plane. Could you imagine if she'd had, uh, if she'd have been able to respond and, 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 it's just weird when when these things happen. Like you look back and like you say, if this hadn't happened, maybe this hadn't happened. You know what I mean? It's all yep. these little things, these little what you would uh, assume are just coincidences at the time. Yeah. Well, when I I'm, think what's weird is that she went down. If she went down, like if the plane crashed, wouldn't you have said him hey, going down? Yeah. I mean, I would have said something. So it's like it almost kind of makes you feel like it happened. Whatever happened mm. too quick, you know. There was another theory too. The one theory was that because she was being kind of the, the her mar- her marriage to oh I forgot to say that she ended up marrying that publicist Putnam, uh, and a lot of people said it was more of a marriage of convenience. It wasn't really a marriage of love. Apparently, he had like proposed to her seven eight times before she finally said yes. And when she did say yes, she basically she gave him a letter that basically said, listen, you know, I I'm your wife, but like, I'm still going to live my life. I'm going to do my own thing. And I don't expect you to be completely faithful to me at all times. Like it was very, very progressive for that time for a woman to say that to her husband. Um, but there, there was a lot of speculation that obviously it was a loveless marriage and that it was something that was just about creating her image, creating her celebrity. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say about him, though. <laughs> I just completely went off on that. Anyway. <laughs> well, maybe maybe this will jog your memory. One of my favorite conspiracies to this story is that Amelia never died. Oh. She actually w- came back to the United States but changed her identity. Yes. And was that, was that where you were going, Chris? Yes, that she disappeared on purpose because he pushed her, because he was, she was not happy with that life. Because uh, I guess there was this thing I saw where if you look at a lot of the pictures right before this, all, all the promotional pictures she was doing, she was starting to look kind of haggard, like she wasn't getting enough sleep. She had bags under her eyes. She was very tired. A lot of people think she may have just gotten tired of this life and decided she wanted to disappear on her own and create a whole new life. Yeah, there was a book that came out in the 70s, and it was called When Amelia Earhart L- uh, Lives, and it accused this woman, uh, Irene Bolin. Oh, yeah, I saw this. Yeah, it accused her of actually being Amelia, and to the point where that woman got so annoyed that she actually sued the book book's publisher. <laughs> she got tired of it all. But apparently she kind of lo- looks like uh, Amelia Earhart, but obviously she says that she's not. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's one of those, it really is. It's, it's one of America's enduring mysteries. It's, it's definitely, it'll always fascinate history buffs, aviation fanatics. You know, it's one of those things. Um, it's almost perfect. It's perfectly written for a mystery novel, a woman in her time when women aren't supposed to be, you know, these figures, uh, rises above, you know, challenges men in their fields, do, you know, does better, becomes a celebrity at it, and then disappears off the face of the earth. That's, 
you got to kind of wonder if, if, if it does ever get solved, you know, if, if, if when it happens, we're all going to be like, Oh yeah, you know, that makes total sense. Or if it's going to, going to be kind of disappointing. Yeah. This, you know? It's interesting. So I guess, so I guess we got to come to the point. What do you guys think happened? I would like to think um, I would like to think that she did survive as a castaway. As much as that sucks, because you don't want somebody to die that way either. I would I'd rather that than her die in a in a plane crash. Um, you or know what dr- I mean? yeah, drowning or something. Yeah, I'd, I'd go. Well, with I think that. any of those sound terrible. <laughs> really, <laughs> that's a terrible way to go either way. But, but I do. Yeah, I, I think I, I think she definitely went down in that plane and it crashed. And if she made it, she so, didn't make it much longer. None of us buy the conspiracy theory that she sur- that she somehow survived, or that she like, was a spy that for she FDR. To disappear. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think so. No, no. I don't think so either. I th- I feel like it was it was one of these things where all if again like I said if if one thing was different she would have survived but all the all the little things lined up and unfortunately you know it didn't work out in the end that's what I think yeah um she was definitely though somebody that you know little girls could always look look up to moving forward. Uh, One of the documentaries I was watching about her, there was this older woman that was talking about how uh, when Amelia Earhart flew across the Atlantic, it was on the the radio, you know, they're listening and this this lady that was on the documentary was old, maybe in her 70s. And she was talking about how she remembers her mother. So she was a little girl at the time. Her mother looking at her just being like, isn't that amazing? You know, like that this woman did this. So in in her time, you know, little girls could look up to her in any time after. You say the words, Amelia, her name, Amelia Earhart. Everyone knows who she is. Uh, Listen to some of these achievements. Woman's world altitude record. She she set that. The first woman to fly the Atlantic. um, Speed records for 100 kilometers. Uh, the first woman to fly an auto gyro. I don't even know what that is. She did. She uh, an auto gyro is the. Uh, it's like the. It's like Ecto two in the real Ghostbusters. Oh, okay, okay. She she did a uh, first woman to fly fly an auto gyro. She also set the altitude record for auto gyros. First person across the U.S. United States in an auto gyro. First woman to fly the Atlantic solo. Uh, she was the first person to fly the Atlantic twice. So Lindbergh did it once. She did it twice. First woman to receive distinguished flying cross. First woman to fly nonstop coast to coast uh, across the U.S. She set the woman's speed transcontinental record in 1933. The first to fly solo between Honolulu and California, between Los Angeles and Mexico City, and nonstop from Mexico City to New Jersey. Uh, she just did all that, and she wrote books. If you want to read anything that it's actually in her own words, she wrote a journal, uh, a book called 20 Hours and 40 Minutes in 1928. It's a journal of her experiences as the first woman passenger on the transatlantic flight. She also wrote a memoir in 1932 called The Fun of It. Um, like, this woman wasn't a joke. She, I mean, she may not have been the, the, the most experienced pilot but i would say that she was she seemed to be a natural she is she was almost like the lebron james of of female pilots you put her in a plane and a couple years later she's setting all these records it's it's um i don't think you can really question her her skills there no No, not at all yeah i don't think so either so well guys listeners uh there you go amelia Earhart, man she flew flew off and disappeared and uh who knows, man? Who knows what happened? I just hope it wasn't it wasn't as bad as as our imaginations can take it. You know? Yeah, really. Jesus. Yeah, because we it's, can think up some bad stuff. Yeah, I like to. I would like to hope that she survived for a little while, and and, and as far as long as you can. But you know what I mean? Not. I don't yeah. know. It seems it seems a, a a worse way to just go straight down and die. I don't know. Oh, I agree. You want it's the terrible. fighting? Yeah, chance. I agree. The fighting chance. All right, guys. Uh. End of the show. We'll just do what we do all the time and then uh, say goodbye to listeners till next time. Who wants, right. Carter, who wants tell us, where can they find you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find my books, uh, House on Dead Boy Lane, Meadowview Road, Spider's Web on Amazon. Um, and hopefully uh, this year I should have uh, two more books out. Nice. Awesome. And for the record, everybody, he still has not sent me a copy yet. It's ridiculous. <laughs> We've been friends for this long, and I still haven't gotten a book. Uh, Johnny Townsend here. You can find my art on Johnnyism28 on Instagram. Also, my other podcast is Retro Blist. It's about old school video games from Nintendo to your Sega Genesis and the like. 
do that with my buddy Trevor. Uh, and that's on this very same network as well as iTunes and the Stitcher. Oh, yeah. Thanks again, guys, for listening to History Creeps. If you came across us on accident, head over to our Facebook page, History Creeps. Give us a follow. Uh, interact with us there. We'll put up our newest episodes as they come out and any updates that we see come across the news uh, in terms of creeps and history. Um, you can also find me on another podcast, Back Issues Comic Book Podcast. Uh, it's exactly what it says. We talk about comic books. It's on the network that this one's on, BICBP-radio.com. Go over there, check it out, see if you find any other shows you're interested in. Once you do, head over to iTunes or Stitcher, subscribe, rate, comment, let us know how, you're, how we're doing. Um, other than that, it was a good time today. Thanks so much for listening. For Carter Johnson, for Johnny Townsend, this is Chris Chavez. Stay creepy. 